Well, hello again. This is the Laughing Satirist. I'm afraid we ran into a technical problem with the first part of the dinner bell. I did not realize that there was a half hour limit on the recording. So the recording stopped suddenly in an unplanned way. Uh, so we will return now to the last part of the dinner bell. You have my number, Harris Singleton said. I'll hold the check in my office safe. Goodbye, Doris Lowry and her niece said together. It isn't so bad not having $3 million, Melissa said to her aunt the next day. We're together, and we're healthy, and we have each other. Becky and Stephanie were lying on the floor, looking at a fascinating article on lighter-than-air machines in Aunt Doris' 1912 Collier's Encyclopedia. We can sell the house and help you move into the retirement home this summer as soon as I pass my general ordination exams, Melissa said. You have enough to get started, and they won't make you move if you run out of money. That's what I'm so afraid of, dear, Doris said. And I'll be earning enough that you won't have to support us any longer, Melissa continued. I'll be ordained a deacon in June. Did I tell you that Mr. Spears has asked me to be his deacon at the downtown church of our Savior? That was my father's church, Doris exclaimed. Oh, Melissa, I'm so happy for you. Someone knocked on the door. I hope it isn't Harris Singleton again, Melissa said as she went into the hall. I hope not, too, said Doris. Melissa opened the door, and a black-haired man with a beautifully trimmed beard and mustache wearing a suit of gray Italian wool so fine it looked as if she would leave footprints if she touched it, faced her. He had the most sensitive features she had ever seen and the deep-set brown eyes of a mystic or a life insurance salesman. Is this the residence of Miss Doris Lauer, he asked in an accent she could not place. Yes. Then you must be her niece, Melissa. His expression was friendly and questioning as if something very important to him depended on the answer. Yes. I am Harshun, he said, smiling as if he had located a lost friend and offering her his hand. May I come in? We have something very important to discuss. Do you know a Mr. Harshun, Melissa called to her aunt? Of course I do, Doris replied. Harshun followed Melissa into the living room bringing with him the smell of sandalwood, frankincense, and a hint that the world held more risks and delights than the editors of Collier's Encyclopedia had ever imagined. The girls looked up and wondered. There were Howards at Exeter when father was a student, Doris said. Now which branch of the family are you? Miss Lauer, he said, ignoring her confusion and bowing. My card. Doris Lowry had not seen such manners since being singled out for special attention by the dancing master at Cotillion Club in 1944. Melissa took the card from her. It was printed in gold and introduced the bearer in English and Arabic as Ibrahim bin Harshun from the Embassy of Bahrain. I think there's been a mistake, she began. Please be seated, Mr. Howard, Doris said. She waited for Melissa to be seated on the edge of the settee beside the girls before taking the bishop's armchair. 
Becky and Stephanie stared at him as if he had stepped out of the television set to offer them a ride to the stars. And what is your position with the embassy, Melissa asked, artistic advisor to his majesty. And you are here because, she continued, Mr. Sindleton told me that his negotiations with you did not go well, Harsham replied, lowering his head as if he had suffered a personal rebuff. He gave you Aunt Doris' name and address, Melissa demanded. He gave me nothing, he replied sorrowfully, as if it were a terrible crime to be associated with Harris Siddleton. To set the offering price for the painting and his own fee, however, he did show me Mr. Orlock Spencer's report. It had your aunt's name and address at the top. He offered me $3 million, Doris said, glancing at Melissa and the girls. He promised me he could obtain it for $3 million, Hershon said with a slight shrug, and then he smiled. Mr. Sindleton is as dangerous to his clients as he is to his adversaries. What do you want, Mr. Hershon, Melissa demanded. The painting, he said. May I see it? Doris pointed to the dinner bell. Hershon arose and stepped as reverently to the bookcase as if he were approaching royalty. Remarkable, he said, leaning over the bookcase to examine the brushwork. We must have it. We're not ready to sell, Melissa said, carefully choosing every word. I'm not talking $3 million, he said. I am talking $13 million. The room was silent. Finally, Becky said, Mother, what's happening? We're negotiating, Melissa said, taking her daughter's hand. Only His Majesty's Modern Contemporary Art Museum in Bahrain can give this masterpiece the exposure it deserves, Miss Lowry. Isn't that the museum shaped like an Arab Dow, Melissa asked? You're speaking of the Dubai Museum of Contemporary Art, Hershon said in the tone he would use to describe a seaside t-shirt shop. In the Gulf, we call it the Dow without a cargo. Why, wondered Doris? Because it's empty, he laughed. They had to borrow from all over the world to have anything in it for the opening. Can you believe it? 27 galleries and no permanent collection. No, Miss Lowry, the finest museum of contemporary art in our part of the world is that which His Majesty the King of Bahrain is building. Zaha Hadid was the architect, wasn't she? Melissa asked to show she understood Yes, and His Majesty has already dedicated one wing to what he calls precursors to the modern. Thanks to you, Tungsten Carp will finally be seen as a great impetus to modernism. Melissa smiled as it swept up in Harshan's vision of the dinner bell hanging on the blinding white wall of a museum in a kingdom where representations of the human form had been considered blasphemy for centuries. With this painting, we will have the finest collection of carps in the world, Harshan continued, thinking he had charmed the two women. Even after what happened to poor Mr. Fraun, Doris asked, a little intrigue always helps the legend of a painter, he reassured her. Melissa nodded encouragement, as if excited and intrigued by his success. I was able to take advantage of a temporary downturn in the market, Harshan continued softly, as if making them partners. 
We now have the other 11 paintings in his magnificent 1887 Almanac calendar series. You know, Aunt Doris, I've changed my mind, Melissa said. I think we ought to sell. That is a lot of money, her aunt agreed. Harshan clasped his hands, as delighted as a proselytizer with new converts. But not enough, Melissa said, turning to Harshan. I was thinking $30 million. I said $13 million, Harshan stuttered, his features distorted by surprise and the realization, too late, that he had given away how badly he needed the painting. And I said, 30, Melissa said firmly. That is beyond my authority, but not beyond what the King of Bahrain will pay to complete the finest collection of carps in the world. Ibrahim bin Harshan was sweating through his beautiful Italian wool suit. Do you think the other king, the one with the museum shaped like a ship, would be interested? Doris Lowry asked, finally understanding what was happening. Miss Lowry, he said, this is impossible. Think of it as an act of largesse, Melissa said, fixing him with the professional smile she used to discourage the traders from bantering about sex in front of her. I must make a call, he pleaded. We can wait, she said. Harshun took his cell and went into the dining room. They could hear him pleading in Arabic, interrupted by a long period of silence. Someone is calling Bahrain, Melissa said, winking at her aunt. What's happening, Mommy? Stephanie asked. We are being sure that Aunt Doris is well provided for. Harshun returned, smiling, and took Doris' hand. Miss Lowry, we have an agreement. How did you know he would pay that much? Doris asked as soon as he was gone. I learned more than I thought at my job, Melissa replied, but I never wanted to use it. Why not, dear? You're so good at it. Because I was caught between acting in a way that can be so hurtful and something I had to do for you and for a lot of other people, too. Do you mean for the family, Doris said? We can't keep all that money just for the family, Aunt Doris. We have to give most of it away so it can help the people who don't have anything. And your father and Lydia Marie and Claire and their children, Doris wondered, We'll set aside enough for you and provide for the family in equal shares, Melissa said and smiled. There won't be enough for them to fight about. Doris looked at Becky and Stephanie, who were playing hide and seek between the living and the dining rooms. And the girls, Doris said softly, there will be enough, don't worry. Doris looked at the woman she used to think of as a little girl playing dress up and wondered where the strength had come from. Then she remembered her father, who had been so strong that she was terrified of ever doing anything to displease him. All my life, I've been caught between what I thought father wanted me to be and what I am, she said. That's over now. I'm free. What a beautiful way of looking at it, Melissa said. I'll ask Mr. Spears who we should write, who should write your new will. Not Mr. Siddleton, Doris said. No, not Mr. Siddleton. This story originally appeared at www.spankthecarp.com. And yes, it's another by McGavern. 
There may be a link to it on his website, www.fredmcgavern.com, or there may not. Next time we'll have The Pillow, a delightful satire of old age and family values, where an elderly man and his wife compete about which one can put the other into assisted living first, leaving the victor to enjoy their golden years alone. Along the way, we will have a satire of online shopping, intergenerational relations, and nursing home economics. Until then, goodbye.